Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop. Hello, and thank you so much for being here. Today, my guest is Izzy Camilleri, one of Canada's most innovative, most celebrated fashion designers. She has dressed so many A-list celebrities, Angelina Jolie, Meryl Streep, David Bowie, just to name a few. And in 2009, she pivoted her fashion business in a way that transformed not just her career, but I would even go so far as to say the industry in general. Let's get to the conversation. Izzy Camilleri, I am so happy to see you. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So Izzy, you are, and this might make you blush, but I think you're a very big deal in the Canadian fashion world. Um, So before we get into the scope of all the amazing things that you have done, in particular, the work that you're doing with Is Adaptive, I love to start off with this question of, I believe... We all have, especially all of us who work or love fashion, have a moment where we appreciate the power that clothing has beyond just covering our bodies and protecting us from the elements, that it has some other magic to it. And I'm wondering if there is a moment in your history that you can recall having that realization. Um, well, I, I would say that I've had a couple of those within the, the is adaptive journey. Um, before that, I, I don't think I did, but, um, one of them was with, when I was already in, uh, this journey of doing adaptive clothing, this woman called me up and, um, she had purchased a denim long skirt of mine and she had had it for about a week. And she called to tell me that, she hadn't worn a skirt in about 20 years after she was injured and that she'd worn it every day since she had received it, you know, for about seven days in a row. And she wanted to tell me that it made her feel human again. And that, um, that like really floored me. And yeah. And that was probably, you know, the biggest compliment, the, the, you know, most impactful, thing anybody has ever said about anything that I've done. Um, and then I would say second would be, um, I made a coat for someone named Carolyn and, um, after having the coat for about a week and her and I had kind of designed it together and she's a very fashionable young girl who had become quadriplegic from an injury, um, a sports injury. And, so after she had the, the coat for about a week, people were stopping her on the street and complimenting her on it. And she called to thank me again. And at that point, I really realized, you know, what I had given her in terms of I gave her her sense of self. I gave her dignity. I gave her inclusion. All these things that I never thought about when I was just doing regular fashion. And I, you know, I would get compliments on my work because it was so sexy and hot and this, and I felt, you know, like a million bucks and, and all of that, which is also fantastic. But this just, you know, goes to a whole other level. So, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. what I'm, I'm just struck with those powerful statements of the humanness that fashion can, can bring and 
you know, before we get into, you know, more of the is adaptive journey, I'd like to bring people up to speed a little bit. So for people who don't know you, you know, what was, what was life before is adaptive? You started quite young and you've had some very lovely sparkle in your, in your career. What do we need to know about your journey before we get into where you are currently? Um, okay. Well, I'll try to give you like the condensed version because I have been at it for a very long time. Um, my mom taught me how to sew when I was a little girl. It became, you know, it was a hobby that became a career. Um, I really loved it. I, you know, I, I did clothes for my friends and did the costumes for Hello Dolly. And so during all that time, I was, you know, learning how to sew, learning how to, you know, put things together. I was learning about fit. Then I went to Sheridan College in Oakville, and I was done all that by 19. And then um, I, um, I kind of, I stumbled onto this kind of rinky-dinky fashion show in Hamilton that I was asked to be a part of. Uh, and the, the organizers um, went to Sheridan College to ask for some uh, names. And so a few of us were interviewed, and I, I got the gig, I guess. And so I was, I was um, part of this fashion show. And, and it was the same weekend as my sister's wedding. So it was that crazy time for me and my family. And I was thinking, what am I doing this? It was a fashion show. And I was thinking, like, what am I doing this for? And uh, but when I got there with my pieces, the models were Donna DeMarco, who I'm sure you know Donna DeMarco, top Canadian first, yeah. you know, uh, what's that term? You know, um, when you're a model and you're like like, like supermodel, super yeah, yeah. So yeah. she was Canada's first supermodel, yeah. and then a bunch of other ones, and and. Uh, there's another one named June Round who had, she had an ad up all over the city. And um, so I, I met these like very high profile people and they loved my work and they wanted to work, buy some. So I ended up connecting with them later and, um, and we became friends and they started introducing me to people. And um, so it was through that event that I met these people and they, you know, just opened the door to all these other people and connections. And so the journey was, um, like, that's kind of how I, I really got going and started to meet certain people. And, you know, then I, I, I started selling to retailers and, um, really growing that way. And, um, but then there was, you know, economic, troubles. There was a big stock market crash in 87 that all my retailers like were not paying me and, and, and it was a nightmare. And, but then at the time, because the Canadian dollar was so low, the film industry really opened up in Toronto. And so the Americans were coming here in droves because they literally, like our dollar was 50 cents to the US dollar. So they were literally double their, doubling their money coming here. And that's why wow. Toronto got so busy. And, um, and so my name uh, got, got to the film wardrobe departments. Um, first through someone brought me this leather jacket to see if I could knock it off because they needed a double. And when they went to the retailer to get the double, they, it was gone. So I copied this jacket for them and, and, because I, and I had leather in my collection, so I had, you know, the means to do leather work. 
and they couldn't tell which was the one they brought and which was the one that I made. So my name started getting around in that, um, in that area, uh, like in that, in the film world. And so I started getting really busy doing film work. So I ended up stopping doing fashion for probably about 10 to 15 years. And I became a resource for the film industry. And um, I was, I was very busy. I went from having, you know, a staff of me plus one to about seven. And we were working around the clock in almost every production that was happening in the city with custom um, wardrobe that, that was needed. And, um, and we were able to turn it over really fast. And, and this is how I met a lot of the high profile people that I've met. And, um, um, yeah. And then in around 2003, 2004, um, I decided to get back into fashion cause I had really missed it. And so I was doing fashion. So the film work was actually supporting my, my, my fashion and, um, yeah. So I don't know how far you want me to go. <laughs> no, that, well, and, and, you know, whenever someone says high profile people, I think all of us just as humans go, Ooh, that's kind of exciting. Is there one person where you're like, that was like, people are people, but is there any one person where you kind of reflect and go, yeah, that, that actually was really, really, really cool. Right. Um, well, I guess I would say David Bowie, um, <laughs> Yeah, very, very, yeah, <laughs> very sweet man, and yeah, and and very um, you know down to earth. And even though we don't think he's from Earth, but yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah, lovely. And um, I was just I I helped a, a stylist uh, create his wardrobe for a music video that he shot in Toronto, and um, and then after that he actually came back to Toronto a couple of months later, and and needed some personal things done and and he remembered me and and had me come back to see him and and do some personal things for him so um yeah so and some yeah I'd classify that under super cool right okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and what I think is so exciting about that part of your story that I can see as a recurring theme as we're going to chat is you don't know where opportunities are going to come from mm-hmm and you don't know who the person is that you're going to meet. Like, I know I get asked, I'm sure you get asked by, you know, up and coming and emerging people in the industry. Like, how do I get in a magazine, you know, build my brand, da, 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 da. And, and there's no prescription sometimes. Like, you didn't know that this, this show in Hamilton was going to be the key that opened the lock to so many, to so many things. And that strikes me as something similar that happened when Barbara called you to, to design for her. And, you know, we're going to get into the, into the is adaptive journey. And before we do, because we were talking about this before we got on, what is the, what is the language when talking about the kind of designs you do? When we talk about people who, who use wheelchairs or, or have, physical limitations, what is the language that is appropriate to mm-hmm. Well, it's forever evolving. Um, but I, I usually just try to, again, put the, per, put the person first. So wheelchair user, you know, I think that 
people that aren't around disability very much, and I never was before, um, you know, and even the term like confined to a wheelchair, which was very common before, but people are not confined to their chair. They do get out. They use it as a mobility device to get around, but they do get out of it. And so, you know, a wheelchair user or or a person that uses a wheelchair. And then with disability, um, people that live with a physical disability, because they are people that live with a disability. And, um, you know, they are just like you and I, with all the things they love and all the things they hate. They just have a different way of navigating this life. Does that people first language place a different design focus do you think like do do we think about designing differently when we have a people first perspective yeah i think so i think that you um you're designing for the person and then like for me because i i do adaptive clothing i'm i'm i i think about the piece and then the adaptive part of it comes after Um, but they're very, they're very, you know, both of them are just as important. Whereas I think before it was just all about the functionality and zero fashion. So a lot of clothing that was available before did not carry any kind of fashion sense. Um, and I don't think people in the, like the medical community, uh, thought it was important what was important was the functionality of, of, of whatever somebody was going to wear. And um, it's, it, it can be literally heartbreaking when, when you hear stories of, of people, you know, like wanting to wear a certain garment, but then their caregiver was like, well, you know, let's, let's just put these on because they're so much easier to put on. Meanwhile, you know, that's, your, your sense of self is just being like thrown out the window and, and, and to everybody else, not important. I was so struck by that in your Ted talk, which we'll link below so people can, can watch the whole thing. Cause it's an amazing kind of overview and trajectory of, of your journey and, uh, and adaptive clothing, but that the caregivers priorities were seen as the driving force for the clothing that the individual's would wear like what a discouraging to say the least way to live yeah and and you know i don't want to define all caregivers as no of course yeah not. Of, being of course not that way but many are and there was there was one time i was i was um i was getting some blood taken for some test and uh i was talking the nurse was asking me oh you know what do you do and so you know i told her and and then I told her this story about one person in particular um, that she was told that from now on she needed to dress to make it easy for her attendant to dress her. So which basically meant, you know, elastic waist pants or just like whatever, even clothes that are a little too big because they're easier to get on. And so when I said this and I was like, you know, that's heartbreaking because I was talking actually about Barbara Trimble and she'd just been injured and and she was 18 years old. and. She had to, you know, rethink her life to make it easy for the people that were caring for her. And so when I said this to this nurse, she was like, oh, my God. She said, I do that all the time. And I, 
I never thought of it that way. And I never thought she's like, cause I'm in, you know, I, I've got to see other patients and I'm, you know, buzzing around and I just like, you know, I just want to put the easiest thing on someone and I leave and I don't realize what I've just done, you know? So it was, it was interesting and eye opening for her where, you know, she's just not realizing that how, how impactful clothing choices can be. And when you started, let's go back to like your, your conversation with Barbara. And I know Carolyn, the coat story that you started off with was part of the early is adaptive journey. How did you approach designing? Like, were there particular, like, did you go with like a core collection? Um, because we're all individuals. It's not like people who use wheelchairs all have the same aesthetic desires. Like, there's, it, it's designing for a market, but still designing for individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, like I met Barb first and then I met Carolyn. So she was my second, um, client. And, and so after meeting Carolyn is when I decided to create a collection. And, um, I just thought to start with wardrobe basics, like things that we all have in our wardrobe, things that, you know, whatever you're into in terms of clothing, you know, we all pretty much have jeans in our wardrobe. We all need a good pair of dress pants. We all need a coat, you know, and I really just tried to keep the the designs classic so that, you know, you can dress it in any way you want. You can accessorize it, the color, you know, maybe you're someone that you wears black all the time. Like I do, you know, you can get it in black and, so, you know, I knew I wasn't going to service the entire world in terms of, you know, what, uh, how they like to dress, but, but just working with these core basics that are universal, um, was the place that I started. And I, and I continue with that as well, because, um, even though it's a huge market, it's still niche and gaining customers like literally one by one. Um, you don't want to scare people away with this crazy fashion stuff that, you know, like, oh, that's not me. I'm never going to wear that. And, you know, but keeping it very um, um, approachable. That's another word that I haven't used in a long time because um, I haven't been asked. But yeah, I wanted to keep it very approachable. And, you know, you talk about the size of the market because when you started 2009, mm-hmm the idea of adaptive clothing was literally invisible. Like no one was thinking it that way. Now, of course, there are, you know, lots of mass brands that have brought that element into their, into their designs. Mm -hmm. What was it like working in the fashion industry and pioneering a very new, how would you describe it? A new audience, a new market, a new approach to fashion, hmm. what was what was happening? Like, how how was that received? Um, it wasn't received very well. I um, the the Toronto community anyway that knew me well and and always embraced everything that I did uh, up until that point um, thought I lost the plot and they they couldn't understand. They didn't see fashion in what I was doing. They saw nothing attractive about it. Um, and so I, I became irrelevant in, in the Toronto fashion scene. 
Um, I tried to even do an installation at Fashion Week in Toronto. That didn't work at all. And I stopped, you know, being invited to things and, and, but I didn't care at all because I knew what I was doing was really important and, um, so next level. And I, I just kept moving forward with it and opening other doors and meeting other people and, um, creating, creating a huge opportunity, not over only for myself, but for the people that I was serving who were how did embracing you, it. <laughs> how did you move through that difficulty? Because I think in all of our lives and careers, we come up against those moments that feel really hard. You know, like I don't want to dwell on it, although I'm ticked off on your right. behalf. Okay. Um, <laughs> but where did you, what did you draw upon to say, you know what? It's all right. It, this is uncomfortable and I don't like it, but I'm moving forward. Um. A lot of it was just believing in my gut and, and at the same, yeah, just believing in what I was doing, believing it was important. Um, and I, I also was at a point in my life where I was very satisfied with the fashion work I had done and I didn't, I didn't know that I wanted to continue also like going down that path of, of becoming a huge brand in, in, with my Izzy Camilleri work, Mm -hmm. uh, unless I moved out of Canada, um, it's, it's, it's very hard. And being, being a small independent label, you're up against so much. You're just a needle in a haystack. And not to say that, you know, again, like anything can happen for anybody. Um, and everybody's journey is different. But at the time when this was all happening, I, I was ready to let the fashion go and um, like that, what I was doing and pursue this. And, and anybody that didn't like it, it didn't, it didn't stop me. And I didn't care because I, I knew how important it was. And yeah, I just kept, I just kept what I often tell my sons is just keep pushing the ball down the alley, you know? And yeah. Well, and I, I wonder, I sense there's like a curiosity of construction within you. Like I hear the same kind of Izzy talking about being, making her own clothes when you were a young girl to recreating the leather jacket to now it's the curiosity of construction that is looking at, well, how do we make clothes for people who use wheelchairs or people who use um, crutches or braces in a way that is, you know, approachable and fashionable and, and beneficial to their, to their bodies and, and their needs. So I see that kind of connection mm-hmm. and how this would, would, would quench a thirst that has kind of been with you. So what do we need to know about the kind of designing you do. Like I imagine there was kind of this onion layering of, oh my God, I didn't realize this. And oh my goodness, I didn't realize that as you were going down this path. What were some of the key aha moments that still stay with you? Um, well, in terms of peeling the onion, I think that started when I met Barbara Trimble. And um, when I was creating pieces for her, 
you know, I would, I would be at her place and we would, you know, do a fitting. This is early on. And I would be going home after being with her. And so Barb, to give people context, is she was paralyzed from her neck down and she couldn't move anything from, from a horrific shooting. Uh, so, you know, it didn't dawn on me, like the minute I met her, what her life would be like living with paralysis, you know? So one day I was driving home and I thought, how does she put food to her mouth? How does she get dressed in the morning? How does she get that eyelash out of her eye? And if she can't move her hands. And so I just became so much more compassionate for people that live with a disability and also very grateful for the life and the body that I, and the health that I have. So, you know, that was a huge aha moment just around respecting people that live with a disability and how they navigate through the same life that I do and, and how much harder it can be and how much I take for granted. So, um, you know, then, you know, just taking my fashion experience and learning about her clothing challenges and limitations, I was able to marry the two and come up with solutions. And, and you're 100% right with my uh, love of figuring things out. And, and if you're familiar with my Izzy Camilleri stuff, I've done some pretty intense pieces and I really like figuring things out. And so, um, so that, and, and, and before it was from more of an artistic place in terms of, you know, cuts and shapes and and things like that, which, but from a very, uh, eye candy perspective. And then with this, it was the exact same thing, like figuring out cuts and shapes and, and everything, but this was from more of a functionality perspective and turning it into something that was going to be useful to the majority of people. So again, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't run a business purely doing custom work. I needed to, I needed to create a collection that was going to work for a lot of people. And so that was also something I needed to figure out is how can I create a collection that's going to work for this community that's so diverse in their, uh, in their situations around disability, like what kind of disability do they have? And because it's so fragmented, I, like working through all of that and navigating how do I, how do I figure this out was really challenging. Well, and I imagine the realization that things we take as innocuous, like seams in pants, actually have a high risk for people who spend a lot of time in a wheelchair. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that, from what I understand, that led to the game changer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for years, from day one, I had people asking me to create a seamless back pant. And in the beginning, I had no idea why. I just thought it was just around, like, comfort. And... um, but then as time went on and I was, you know, continuing to learn, I learned that you can develop what's called a pressure sore, which is very similar to a bed sore that the elderly get from, from bone pressing down on skin. And for the elderly, that's why if 
you know this or not, during the night, they're often turned around so that let's say if they're lying on their side, like this point here is a pressure point. So often people would get uh, a pressure sore here. And what that is, is the bone literally penetrates the skin and causes a very serious infection, which you can die from if it, if it, if it doesn't uh, heal. So for people that are paralyzed and sitting most of the day, the end of their spine and even their sitting bones are pressing down against their skin. And eventually what can happen is the bone penetrates the skin and causes a pressure sore. And, and you can also think of it as like flesh eating disease where eventually the wound can get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you can, you die of blood poisoning of sepsis. So, you know, once I learned about all that, I understood yeah. why so many people kept asking me to make a seamless back pant. And, but I just kept telling them that, you know, it's not possible. Like that seam at the back of the pant is integral to the construction of a pant. It separates right and left. It gives us dimension between front and back. Like all of this stuff, um, you need a seam. Sometimes when I'm talking about seams, I'll give the reference of a baseball cap. If you think of a baseball cap, it has seams to help create the shape of your head. And yeah. you only create shape with seams. You, if I put a flat piece of paper on my head and just tried to make it, you'd get all these, this extra fabric or this extra paper that has to be eliminated so that it's nice and clean. So that's the same thing with the back of the pant. So um, during COVID, just, just before COVID came down, um, I had a conversation with someone. I gave him, you know, my same spiel. And, but then when the world stopped, I started really thinking about it and wondered, you know, is it possible? And so I went to work where it was nice and quiet and, um, you know, I had no distractions. Um, and, uh, I figured it out. And it actually didn't take that long for me to figure it out. I just needed to stop and really think about it. And um, so then I started testing this concept and idea. And I started um, talking to people that had very severe pressure sores and survived, um, as well as health professionals. I talked to them. And, um, and so, yeah, so then I created this revolutionary cut of pants. And the, the, that we call the game changer, that is a literal product name, not just a description of what you have created. Mm -hmm. And that is available for sale now, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the, the backless, the seamless backless pant. What, from a business perspective, because, you know, the fashion industry is fraught with knockoffs and, and whatnot. How do you protect something so innovative and personal to your business and your brand and, and your purpose? Mm -hmm. Well, I, when I realized I was onto something kind of huge and important, I looked into patent protection and I had looked into patent protection before when I started is adaptive, but I was kind of too late because anything that you bring to market, if it's on the market for more than one year, you can't get a patent for it. And so during, during all my years in adaptive clothing and, and starting to see that it, it's, it's, I started seeing other companies um, 
offer clothing and I could see where they were knocking me off, not only in, in my designs, but the way that they built their website, like even the, the way that they spoke about. Oh, um, I'm ticked off he, on your he, behalf he, again, Izzy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, I, I also started the term seated, like that my clients are seated because I wanted to take, initially, I wanted to take the disability out of, of the language and just, they're just seated customers. And, and so I was talking with someone not that long ago that was, it was a denim manufacturer in offshore and he was using the word seated. And when he was talking to me, cause he was also producing some denim for this company in Australia. And, and he was saying, you know, I'm making seated jeans for, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I actually stopped him and I said, you know, it's funny that you're using that language because I started it. <laughs> Because I did. I made up that. I remember making up yeah. those words, you know, and anyway. So with, with um, the Game Changer, I, I went to see a lawyer before I brought it to market so that I could get the protection it needed. I also learned that. So I, was, I, make, a, I make my Game Changer cut in jeans. I make them in chinos and track pants and leggings. And... I can make them in anything. So the hard part is how do you patent something when you're constantly changing the design? Because it's thousands and thousands of dollars to do that. And I'm, you know, I, my means are limited. So what I learned is that you can patent a part of something. And what I wanted to patent was the back. It, cause the front was forever changing. So, um, so, you know, you can, you can patent a part of something. So that, that's how I, I was able to uh, apply for patent protection. And so that's what's called patent pending. And once you apply and you have a stamp of the date that you, you applied, nobody else can come in and apply for the same thing. So you're kind of protected from day one, the day that you make that your, your application uh, is in, and then you just go through the process of, of getting, getting approvals. And um, so that's what takes so long is sometimes it's terminology, how you're expressing something, you have to give diagrams, you have to, you know, it all needs to be 100% clear to a lame person who doesn't understand pattern drafting, for example, um, right. to understand. And um, so, yeah, so, and so now having the, the, the patent, I'm able to license it. So if a brand wants to use it, they can't. They just have to do it um, fairly by by paying a fee to incorporate it into their into their designs. As we've been talking, I've been wondering if in the past we've thought about people who use wheelchairs as like their own distinct market as opposed to just looking at the entire, like if you are a human who wears clothes, just like we have different sizes for different body sizes, it's not about ciphering off a market. We should just be expanding our notion of, of fashion. Mm -hmm. Does that resonate with you? Like, it sounds like that's your, that's the, the approach that you're looking at is it's like, just, it's all fashion. It's all design. Yeah, completely. And it's been a learning process for me because when I was 
uh, before this, um, I knew very little people that lived with a disability. Um, and one, one, this is kind of taking me to something that um, I've kind of broken down now. Uh, when we're kids, you know, when I was a little girl and I saw someone sitting in a wheelchair, you know, I would stare because I'm like, what is that? chair that has wheels and why is that person using it to get around and whatever you know whatever a six-year-old or whatever is is thinking they're not thinking anything bad other than curiosity you know yeah and uh they're not being discriminatory you know anything they're just like curious and of course my mother who you know I of course love dearly and loved me dearly um see me staring and say, you know, don't stare or like, you know, grab my arm and say, come on, you know, don't stare. And she's thinking that I'm being rude or, you know, just leave the person alone or, or whatever. This is so resonating with me. Yes. Yeah. And so of course my mother meant no harm whatsoever. If anything, she was trying to be respectful and cause I'm, I'm staring. And so as a little girl, what I'm taking away is that person is different than I am. Um, I shouldn't be looking at them. I shouldn't be talking to them. Um, you know, like what else am I to think when, when I'm, I'm not allowed to look or, you know, communicate. Mm -hmm. And so I think that happens to a lot of us where, where it is us and them, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, and it was only until, you know, I've always been a kind, compassionate, respectful person growing up. And I, you know, I, 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 I got over that, you know, part of, of my own growth, but, um, it really kind of makes it clear how that can happen, um, unintentionally. And yeah. so now with, with, um, you know, for me, just more exposure of, of, people of all kinds and all abilities and disabilities and um, just embracing everybody because, you know, we are all people. And, and another small story is I, I had another client who became a friend. And when I was leaving her place, um, I asked if I can give her a hug and she welcomed that with open arms. And, and she just, because, you know, again, there's this like distance between, people with disabilities and people without, and there's this, you know, this separation. So, um, and she told me that it's been a long time since somebody gave me a hug. And after that, I made it my, like a point to hug as many people as possible. And first to ask and make sure if I can give somebody a hug, but I share those hugs a lot. And why not, you know? Well, what I'm so struck by is we, I think in the past, because I was was raised the same, you know, don't stare. We can't and shouldn't ignore difference. It's eliminating the judgments about the difference. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And and again, you know, like a parent doesn't realize what what they've just um, done. And the, yeah. and the opportunity that was missed. Another time I had a 
customer that was leaving my place and she, she, uh, both her and her husband are wheelchair users and they have a van, you know, an accessible van. So this ramp comes out and gets lowered onto the sidewalk and, and then she rolls onto it and then it gets raised and then she goes in. And again, there was a, a woman with her daughter and the daughter was just looking at the van and the ramp and that, you know, like this was all very new and, but then, you know, the mother was like, stop staring and, you know, was on her way. And the, my client was a, a school teacher and, and she was like, you know, I hate when I see that because it's such a missed opportunity to, you know, to educate, um, young people and, and for that mother to educate her daughter. And, you know, so even just being on the other side of it, of the side of the person that, that is being stared at or, you know, having your kid, you know, pushed away because, you know, and meanwhile, you know, we're all people and we all, you know, want to yeah. be loved and respected and all of that. Izzy, if you became Izzy Camillera, the all-powerful <laughs> and could wave a wand for the fashion industry broadly. You know, diversity, inclusivity, equity is such an important part of the discussions that are happening within the industry. What, what would you like our industry to look like? Well, that is a, like a huge question. And yes, that's not lost on yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think like... Um, you know, I think that there, there's there's companies and people that want to embrace and explore this area of clothing, and there's, then there's companies and people that don't. And so i i don't I don't you know because um, if you are going to do it, you need to. It, it's huge to embrace this. You need mm-hmm. to educate yourself and your staff and your designers and and everything around the proper way to do it. Um. So it may not be for everybody, and and that's okay. Um, but for you know companies to you know maybe they don't want to get into clothing for wheelchair users specifically, or for people that use a leg brace, or for you know the seven million other things that that uh, people may need. Um, you can embrace more of a universally designed way of designing things where just Mm -hmm. keeping in mind, you know, even dexterity issues, you know, doing little buttons can be challenging for people. So maybe making your buttons just a little bit bigger or just, just thinking in a more universal way that's not excluding people. Um, It's impossible to, to cater to the entire universe um, or our world with, with your clothing options or what you put out. And it isn't even about, it's not only about clothing, it's about our living spaces, the things that we use every day, our computers, our phones, you know, and all industries are embracing this and learning how they can change what they do to make it more accessible. Um, So, you know, it is a big question. Every company has got their own thing going on and, you know, whether they, they are able to incorporate inclusion into their into their work and and more importantly i would say not not look at it as a box to tick so that happens a lot where advertisers let's get someone who's a wheelchair user in our ad so that we look like we're you know uh inclusive when meanwhile nothing in their product 
caters, yeah. you know, or is good for someone who uses a wheelchair, for example. So, you know, that's where it, it, it's a bit annoying, I would say, when you see companies that are just kind of taking the box and but not really doing anything about it. So. Well, Izzy, you are doing something about it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. I so appreciate your candor and you taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you so, so much. You're so welcome. If people want to find out more about Is Adaptive, if they want to follow you and your journey, where are the best places for people to find you? We'll link them in the show notes below, but tell the people where to find you. All right. Well, um, we have our online store, which is isadaptive.com and Is Adaptive's uh, social media. Instagram is is Adaptive. Facebook is, is Adaptive. Everything is is adaptive. I have um, my own Instagram, which is more of a of a mixed journey of of my work and my life, and and uh, that's Izzy Camillary on Instagram, um, and Izzy Camillary at on Facebook. And is is spelled I Z adaptive. Yes, yes, amazing. Thank you so much, Izzy. It has been pure pleasure speaking with Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Donna. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me here on Fashion Talks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends, your family, on your networks. It would mean the world to me. Fashion Talks is done in partnership with the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards. You can find out more about them at CAFA Awards, C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S on Instagram. This episode was produced by Jason Perrier. You can find him on Instagram at a Jason Perrier. You can follow the pod at Fashion Talks Pod, and you can follow me at This Is Donna B. All of us on Instagram. I hope you will join us again next week. Thank you so much and have a great day.